Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Good morning, Dr. Jane. Good morning, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing just fine. It's good to be here. It is. It really is. Well, lots of feedback this week about people's disappointment with themselves. Uh, They're reporting feeling stuck, hope they would have accomplished more in the last several months of sheltering at home, working from home, feeling failure initiating or completing various projects like weight loss, exercise, reorganizing the office, the closets, reading more, getting caught up with emails, the list goes on and on. Let's talk about what gets in the way of doing what we say is important or what we say we want. Oh, sure, Anna. You know, this is really such a basic dilemma. Um, you know, it, it, it is the question of, you know, what, what keeps getting in the way of what we say we want? And this relates to so many of the uh, conversations that we've had over the last several months. You know, our thoughts, our beliefs, our backstory, uh, our conditioning, you know, all of this plays into um, what we say is important, um, what we're, we do about it, um, and also the obstacles that get in the way of what we want and what we believe is important. So for our purposes, you know, let's, let's start with the premise that we can't always control what we get. You know, we've all had the experience where we've had, you know, great, um, great incentive, great ideas, and put our best efforts forth, and somehow it just didn't play out the way we planned. You know, so sometimes that kind of uh, the control gets to be an illusion. However, we can always, always control what we do. So the question is, why don't we do the things that we deem important? Yeah, well, that can be so very disappointing. You know, it's interesting because sometimes I've known myself to pick up and start again. And then there are other times when I just say, nope, you know, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and we all do it. We all do it, Anna. We put things off and we pacify ourselves with reasons why um, I can't do it or it's not enough, uh, I don't have enough time. Um, you know, the reasons allow us to maintain kind of a, what I like to refer to as a psychic harmony while we, were, we really neglect ourselves. You know, we, we can feel good about ourselves while distancing from something that we really value. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the realm of the excuses that we create. You know, things like um, we don't have time, money, space, equipment, tried it, it didn't work, tried it, <laughs> tried it I didn't like it. Um, these are, these that can sometimes be valid and sometimes not. You know, often though, you know, we, we really get stuck on one way of doing something and we're not willing to modify our approach or our plan to it. So for instance, if, if we believe that, that exercise is important, but we're only open to having a particular kind of exercise equipment and we can't afford it or it doesn't fit in our living space, we're unlikely to follow through and do that thing that is important to us and that is exercise. You know, and the, the thing is that the medical journals, journals are filled with studies that have followed people, patients who have life-threatening chronic um, diseases and illnesses, you know, who aren't able to maintain or don't maintain, you know, the lifestyle changes necessary to maintain their health. So, you know, whether it's something as, as you know, more mundane as uh, exercise equipment or it's something like, you know, for the diabetic not having that candy bar, you know, it, it really kind of, we're, we're talking about a similar kind of a piece here. We're talking about how we create excuses 
and obstacles, you know, as we do, you know, other stories in our lives through our thoughts and our beliefs and our behaviors, um, our people pleasing, you know, and if we think or see or believe that something is standing in our way, if I really put together that story, I become attached to it and I treat it like fact hmm. and it becomes my reality. Wow. So if we don't use an excuse or tell ourselves it's an obstacle, it would be one. I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking probably not. Well, and let's just check it out. You know, what are the obstacles or excuses that, that you use? You know, maybe it's responding to, let's pick something that's, that's, you know, just kind of mundane again. You know, something like, you know, I don't follow through by responding to my emails in a timely way. And I feel kind of embarrassed about that. I feel like, gosh, I feel inept. It's really not very professional, you know. And, and, and so it's like, what have I already decided? You know, what have I decided about the obstacle or the excuse? What are the excuses I use? You know, things like, you know, it's too much trouble or it takes too much time or, oh, I just don't feel like it or I don't want to do it or, oh, there's such a pain. Why are they constantly, why are they bothering me again? You know, or I'll do it later. That's the famous one. I'll do it, rat, I'll do it right. later. Um, so it's like, what, what belief am I attached to um, that supports this? You know, it's like, well, maybe I don't have to or, or I just don't feel like it or um, it takes too much of my time or I'm already overwhelmed. You know, we have a myriad of things that we can use as excuses that justify it, you know, but but it's like, what am I personally getting out of doing this? You know, how am I making it right not to do this thing that I say is important? You know, and what would happen if I would let go of it? What would happen if I would say, maybe there's another way to do this, you know? If, if maybe one of the things is I want to watch something on Netflix, but I don't want, you know, and that's going to get in the way of me doing this thing that I really think is important. It's like, can I do, can I combine it somehow? Or can I maneuver things so I can do both the thing that I want to do and that might make me feel good. And also that thing that really is a responsible thing that allows me to feel good about myself. Well, that certainly moves us into some discomfort, I would say. <laughs> It sure, it sure can. And you know what? That's the point. The point is that I want to begin to make my excuses make me uncomfortable. You know, I want to be, I want to be able to stand in a position where I can see that my excuses really set me up to pretend that I'm not responsible. You know, I, I, it's like I don't have to be responsible if I have a good excuse not to. So it's only by getting honest, really honest with myself that I can discover, you know, that I'm really exercising a choice. So instead of using all my usual excuses, you know, I don't have enough time or money or um, all the shoulds and that, if I would say, well, I choose not to, I choose not to do this healthy thing for myself, you know, it kind of brings it home and I have to own my choice. So does recognizing my part activate any change process? a change process, or it seems to me that realizing I'm perpetuating the problem behavior by making ex excuses shines some light on doing things another way. Well, this can be very instrumental in moving us in that direction. You know, for some, it may uh, spark what we call gumption, you know, that gumption to kind of move forward and plan the change, um, you know, kind of become innovative or inventive or resourceful. Uh, the question is, is it enough? Is gumption enough? Well, what about motivation, determination, inspiration? I mean, Dr. Jim, what is enough? 
Well, these are all good questions, Anna. You know, and the important question uh, uh, is is that, you know, are they enough? Um, they're all important qualities. I don't want to under, you know, um, uh, diminish any of them. They're all important, but, but let's look at them. You know, when we talk about motivation, we're talking about... Um, Motivation kind of gives us the jump start. You know, it's kind of like that gumption. You know, it provides a reason or a desire for change. It's usually something that's external. It, it kind of is a pulling force. Um, but it can't always be counted on. You know, as our, our mood lowers very often, we can't access motivation. You know, sometimes it doesn't show up at the front gate of when we want to make a change. So we can't always rely on it for us to, to, um, uh, to fuel us to move forward in a change process. You know, a lot of times it shows up in the course of doing something. It's like I didn't feel like it at the beginning when I started my exercise, but by the time I'm halfway through, I'm like, I'm really glad that I'm doing this. It kind of goes back to that um, that uh, advertisement from Nike, you know, just do it. It's like in the course of doing it, we'll be inspired, you know, and then there's the determination and determination you know, that's a real asset because very often that's what keeps us on course um, when we start to, to fade or our motivation starts to fade. You know, and then there's, you mentioned inspiration. And certainly I, you know, I love that the whole meaning of inspiration, you know, of the spirit and, and really being able to, to find that place of, of um, within us, that force within us that allows us to move in that right direction and the driving force that sometimes is the instrumental force that keeps us on track. So I don't want to under, you know, underestimate how important these pieces are. Well, these are the factors that we typically access when we're making life changes. Isn't this enough? Well, they're extremely helpful. And as I say, I don't want to diminish any of them. They're all important assets. But believe it or not, they're not always sufficient. They're not always sufficient, especially when faced with a decision for change that I really don't um, want the change or I'm reluctant to uh, make the change or I think I can't make the change, you know? So the missing link is really willingness. Um, willingness is this inner state. It's often referred to as a state of mind or a state of consciousness. And it allows us to do something that moves us into or moves us towards something greater, something more important, something more valuable. And with willingness, it, you know, it isn't the things necessarily that we uh, accept or want to do. Willingness moves us into territory of resistance, um, things that I don't want to do, things that I, I don't necessarily um, accept. So it applies to things that maybe I, I really never thought I ever wanted to do um, in the first place. So the obstacles and the excuses begin to shift with willingness. And willingness tends to unlock this door that stands between my imagination and reality. And it always requires action. It always requires action that is chosen freely, consciously. This is conscious choice. We're stepping out freely in, in this, um, the faith within the willingness to try new ideas without reliving the past, the past stories, the past beliefs, um, the past people-pleasing that kept us trapped. We move through the barriers with willingness. Well, this sounds, that sounds really important. You know, it's, it's like the gift that shows up when we're ready to face into the challenge. So how do we get there? 
Well, that's right on it. You know, it, it, it does help us face that challenge. Um, and the, the, the straight answer is, you know, we actually on some conscious level decide to be there. You know, sometimes it's a it's during a path that has kind of taken us into um, a dark hour of our lives or a uh, kind of hitting a bottom and and we can't seem to find the way out. Um, my first encounters with willingness and really talking about willingness and working with it with people and, and also with myself was early in my career. Um, I was working and right out of graduate school on Ignatia Hall at St. Thomas Hospital in Akron, Ohio. And at the time it was a five day detox center for alcoholics and it had a strong liaison with Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. Um, And relapse was considered part of the disease of alcoholism. And so the spiritual principles of AA really supported um, uh, the recovery process. And things like humility, and cultivating a, a closer relationship to a higher power and um, uh, service were all things that were taught within the in the principles of, of AA and also things that we really kind of helped people direct themselves toward during that detox uh, experience. But willingness could not be taught. Um, it was an essential, it was actually the key for all the other principles that were taught in that, in that transformational process of, of the 12 steps, but it couldn't be taught. You know, it really required an earnest, open-hearted, wholehearted desire for recovery that bridged the gap between the wishful thinking and the recovery as a reality. And it always required action, always required action. So sometimes a patient would show up on the unit umpteen times many previous detoxes, and then suddenly they would find themselves in this willingness to commit themselves to abstinence from alcohol and working and living the 12-step principles, you know, and this transformational power of the willingness that seemed like it was, it was often, it seemed kind of mysterious, uh, mysterious and magical, you know, was stunningly beautiful and, and humbling at the same time. Just an incredible experience for me to to witness. That's amazing. You know, the possibility of accessing it, and yet the blocks, excuses, obstacles, as as you say, they can call off the whole game of making the desired change. Oh, Anna, you're absolutely right. You know, these are the resistances. We often refer to them as defenses. And it's they're incredibly powerful. They're both conscious and unconscious. Um and I like to think of, of fear as, as being kind of um, uh, disguised as resistance. You know, when we look at the fear of, you know, um, maybe it won't matter. Maybe I can't do it. Um, maybe it won't work for me. Maybe I'll lose something or someone. Um, maybe it's really not a problem. You know, all these resistances, sometimes we're, we're able to access them and know what they are. And other times they just seem to be bombarding us from behind the, the scenes. We're not really conscious of them. But they disguise, uh, uh, they're very often disguised as this resistance that keeps us in our unwillingness. So it keeps us identified with this smaller, weaker part of ourselves, keeps us away from accessing the best and highest part of ourselves. So it's the fears that make up the resistance and defenses that keep us from our highest self? That, well, that's, that's interesting. That's an, it's actually an interesting way to look at it. I've never looked at it that way. Well, 
Yeah. I mean, let's think about it for a minute. You know, to be my best and highest self, I have to do whatever is necessary with whatever wisdom and compassion and courage I can access to do that next right thing. And it all takes a willingness to do it. You know, in many of our life experiences, you know, sometimes we we really do know what we need to do, but we don't know how to do it. You know, or, or I know what I need, but I don't really want to do it. And it's our in our willingness that we find a way, that we shift in consciousness out of that fear that fuels the resistance and the defenses. So we're able to really access creative problem solving. You know, we talked about this in an earlier conversation um, when we were talking about how fear sets us up in our neurosystem to um, be in what we call an aversion mode. And so it narrows our problem solving. And, and, uh, and so these capabilities are, are so narrow that we can't access the full scope of what's possible. But willingness, that willingness brings us into that more positive mode of the approach mode, which expands our approach, expands our vision, and allows us to approach problems with, with much more creative solutions. Yeah, well, it all makes sense, but I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe that we would put so much energy into staying this, the same, you know, feeling our excuses, and, and yet I can see myself doing it, you know, putting something important on the shelf and feel justified in keeping it there. Well, and Anna, we all do it. You know, I often compare us to, to mice in an experimental lab. You know, I mean, mice learn how to run through the ma- maze for, um, for cheese. And they'll refuse to run through the maze if there's no cheese there. But we as humans, on the other hand, you know, if we can think or imagine that the cheese is going to be there, that I'm going to get something out of it, we'll continue to run up the maze, even though we're not getting anything from it. And this solidifies our defenses, solidifies our resistances. So, you know, and we fail to notice in this that there's a choice involved. There's a real solid choice. The choice is that, that, that if I do whatever I do, you know, I'm going to create my world and my reality from that. Mm-hmm. So if I don't, if I fail to notice that I'm in that position of choice, I'm really not going to be able to see that phenomena and how I'm creating my reality. So we can learn a lot about ourselves, not just by what I reject, but also what by, by what I accept. You know, and, and by playing small or by playing out of that, living life out of that, that smaller part of myself, you know, we forget who we really are. And we constantly look outside ourselves for satisfaction. You know, living true to ourselves, you know, it means that we, we start by asking the hard questions, by really allowing ourselves to be in what is true and honest about how I'm doing things and why I'm doing the things. This is living true to our highest self. Wow. So as we talked before, turning toward ourselves, you know, identifying the choices we're making. Dr. Jane, what else can we be doing? Well, Anna, you know, it all starts with posing the hard questions, getting honest with ourselves. And one of the things I'm going to suggest is that we refer back to that video that we did on turning toward the discomfort, 
because it really is allowing ourselves to be in the discomfort with these hard questions. So in, in, in watching that video, it really puts us into this quieting space so that we can gently and compassionately, kindly turn toward the difficulties, you know, and, and to begin to ask ourselves, you know, what if, what if these excuses that I use that keep me from doing what I believe is important or doing that next right thing, you know, what if they aren't true? What if, you know, how am I making those excuses right? You know, what if there are no real obstacles? These are, these are launching points, you know, all starting with the self. And that reminds me of that old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them him drink. Well, and, you know, Anna, that is absolutely true. And that really is willingness, you know, that, that what makes that horse begin to drink. But the key is, and this is something that came out of my 12-step experience when I was working, you know, uh, at, on Ignatia Hall years ago, they used to say, you can, you, can, <laughs> you can take a horse to water, bring a horse to water, you can't make him drink, but you can give him enough salt that he'll want to. And so, <laughs> and so by posing these questions, it really is, we're, we're really trying to set up the, um, the internal environment that I'm going to be open to the willingness. So it's it's saying, you know, starting with, you know, what if these what if these excuses aren't true? What if I'm trying to make this doing this thing that isn't good for me? What if I'm trying to make this right? You know, this isn't about criticizing ourselves or judging ourselves. You know, we want to be kind and compassionate, but we really very often created a tunnel for ourselves and and we want to seek a way out, but not with any kind of harshness. You know, that would be counterproductive. So we want to avoid the shoulds and shouldn'ts because so often those are been referred to in the past as kind of a stick that we beat ourselves with. But we want to begin to make a list of, you know, why is this change process, why is it so important to me? What is it, this thing that I say I want, how is it important to me? What is it, what is it that's so very valuable to me? And we also want to stoke the desire. You know, we want to let ourselves imagine ourselves, you know, how would it look and feel to be doing this next right thing, to be in this change process? And I'm also going to suggest that we turn toward that video on loving kindness, because that's a way to infuse the desire with lovingness and compassion. Um, and sometimes it's, it's about writing that, uh, that first step. What am I going, what do I need to do? What, how, do I, I want to, how might I start this process? I remember years ago um, studying a, an organizational development model. I believe it was like Dan Miller and Tyson. And they talked about any change process needed to have desire in the first step had to be greater than the resistance. And isn't that really what we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, that's, that's amazing. Dr. Shana, I'm sure we'll be talking more about this. And I'm so happy that we chose Making Willingness the topic of our conversation today. I sincerely believe that there are many people that aspire to go through this process in order to awaken to their best and highest self. You know, Anna, it really is an awakening process. You know, we are awakening to our best and highest self. And it all starts with the willingness, the willingness to turn toward the self. Um, we'll talk more about it in future conversations. In the meantime, I'm really going to suggest that people tune into our energy technique this week. Um, it's connecting heaven and earth. This is a technique that I learned when I was training uh, in energy medicine with Donna Eden, and it really supports our desire to connect, 
to connect with that best and highest self, you know, which, which is so often that, that light that, that shines the way um, to the willingness. Well, it is a beautiful technique, and I'm really excited that we're sharing that this week. Thank you, Dr. Jane. Until our next conversation. Thank you, Anna. Thank you.